Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello and welcome to The Price of Football, the show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game with me, Kevin Day, and Liverpool University's Kieran Maguire. <coughs> Good morning, Kieran. Sorry, that was a sad, melancholy clearing of the throat there. Kieran shouldn't have done that on air, but don't really care this morning. Um, <laughs> producer guy doesn't like us talking about football, which is for the best, really. Otherwise, we'd be here for two hours talking about Jordan Henderson being a metaphor for everything that's wrong with English football, but uh, I've got a cat to share that with Kieran, although she's gone under the bed because she's had two hours of it already this morning. Um, how are you? Did you watch the game? Did you enjoy, say, did you enjoy yeah, the game? Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I, I did. Uh, I, I went, I popped down to the, the local store beforehand and, uh, and, and and the guy behind the counter, he says, you, you, you that guy from that podcast? I go, mm-hmm. what do you mean that podcast? He says, oh, yeah, the football. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He says, and he says, you're the fourth most famous person in the village. And I thought... <laughs> Wow, <laughs> football has made me. Wow, well, we know. Let's let's see if we can work out who the. I know the Crankies live in the village, don't they? So do they? Do they? <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> he, he, he then he then told me that the three most famous people in our village is is Tom Baker, uh, ex Doctor Who, Jane Torville, um, and Rag and Bone Man, who who, wow. I, who I believe is some sort of pop beat combo type of person for young people. Wow, I've 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 never I'd, I'd love to meet Rag and Bone Man because I'm a big fan. Uh, the first two you named, um, I've met, and I'd oh, be no. happy. I'd be happy not to do so again. Um, <laughs> <laughs> in their own way, quite interesting people to work with for some time. But uh, that's for a different pod, Kieran, yes. uh, entitled "The Price of Jordan Henderson and Jane Torville." Uh, Jane Torville's uh, dancing partner, on the other hand, all right, which is, for me, very high praise. It's questions day, Kieran. <laughs> First question, it says here, is why Jordan Henderson... Never mind. Uh, we do have a little bit of news, Kieran, which we will discuss in more detail mm. on Thursday, but this is good news for those who have gone early on independent regulator in Price of Football Bingo. Because <laughs> yes, <absolutely. laughs> uh, two of the grown-up newspapers are reporting this morning that the Prime Minister, Rishi Sunak, has uh, agreed that an independent regulator for football will be appointed and will possibly be named next week. So we'll get more details on that, Kira. We'll do a bit more research. And hopefully we can tap into some of your contacts at the highest levels of government um, and talk to somebody who might know a thing or two about who the independent regulator will be. Well, we'll we'll we'll. I'm not talking the man down the shop. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, we'll, we'll 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 ask some people to come on um, uh, if, if this is going to go ahead, and, and it is good news. Um, I, I have been uh, lucky enough to to go to DCMS on on a few occasions this year and and, and meet some of the people there. And there's there's some really uh, very thorough. Uh, very progressive people who are involved 
in the project. Um, and I, I know it's a bit of a you know, it's a bit of a cliche that I mention it all the time, but uh, uh, for those people as, as well as for us as fans, I, th- I think it will be a, a, a huge step forward in terms of football. Um, it, it, we, we did we did go through a period of I think it was, was it forty four days of. Uh, not not having much chance of a regulator uh, mm. that may have coincided with uh, one of the prime ministers being not in, in office for that period of time, uh, but uh, yeah, I think this is this is uh, positive news. Yeah, I, I think we can dispense with the may have have coincided there. <laughs> it, it coincided with the uh, arguably the worst forty four days of leadership this country's ever seen. It's it's a great shame, Kieran, that the late, lovely, and very much lamented Kirsty McColl didn't do a song called The Guy Down the Shop says I'm the fourth most famous person in the village. But <laughs> yes. <clears throat> I'd be quite happy. If you want to get him on, I'd be quite happy. Our first question comes from Jeff Cross, who I believe was uh, known as Jeff Optimistic until he saw the team sheet <laughs> before the team. Uh, Jeff says, I'd, li- I'd be really interested. Apologies to all our listeners, of course, who aren't England fans all over the world who are still chuckling. Um, and looking for the ball that Harry Kane chipped over the crossbar with that penalty. Jeff Cross says, I'd be really interested to hear your thoughts on the investment bonds that a number of clubs, Peterborough United, for example, are offering. Yes, um, I think this is uh, an interesting way in terms of where clubs are looking for in in terms of funding. Um Clearly, we have owner funding, which uh, which which has been the case uh, at Peterborough United. Um, if you are following activities at uh, at that club, uh, you, you will see that there, there seems to be. There, I think there's, a, there's one or two issues. Uh, the 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 main the main man there, Dara McAntony, uh, is, uh, is is quite combative, shall we say, yeah. um, on social media, and he's got his own podcast and so on. And yeah, I've always gone fine. Um, but um, I, I think there's a limit to what owners are willing to put in, and and the the, the idea of an investment bond, we call it an investment bond. It's actually a loan. You know, so so let's oh. let, let's 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 get the terminology oh. right. So um, we've uh, we've seen them at Wimbledon, uh, QPR, Peterborough, Norwich. And quite often they are for specific projects. So I, th- I think the one at Norwich was for uh, sort of you know the training facilities, uh, and and you put money in, and you you get sort of two or three things back. First of all, potentially you're going to get, a, a, you get an interest payment. Uh, I think with with the one at Wimbledon, they they offered yeah you, know, you if if you if you want to put money in and get nothing back financially apart from your money back at a later date in time that you can charge 0% interest. I think they had tiered, tiered rates of interest. Um, the one at uh, Peterborough is interesting in the sense that it's paying 9% interest. Um, yeah, that's that's pretty sizable. Um, and then you get a 15% bonus if the club is promoted to the championship. So, so those, are, you know, those are pretty steep uh, rates of interest. But it would be cheaper potentially than uh, borrowing from a bank, uh, and also I'll be honest: uh, if I was a bank manager, and, and don't don't take this wrong, people in Peterborough, I wouldn't lend you because I, I think I just perceive you to be too risk. So you might say, "Well, nine percent, yeah, that, that's fantastic. You can compare that to what you get in an ISA and so on." Also, you get a, an, an emotional uh, return, and and for the sake of uh, complete transparency, I, I have bought um, one of the Peterborough bonds. Um, myself, as uh, I've also bought one for Wimbledon and, and one other club, which, which I'm, I'm not going to mention here, um, just because 
I, I believe in football, and it's from my point of view, it's 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 a good return. In on top of that, you might get some club related benefits. So you know, you might get a uh, yeah, you might get a special badge, or you might get a, a, a an invite to a match, or or something like this. So, so so there are there are other benefits as well. The downside, and here you know, I, I'm, I'm not a financial advisor, uh, but I, I, I can add up just about. Um, <laughs> Your, the money that you're putting in is effectively an unsecured loan. So if things go wrong at the club and it goes bust, potentially you're going to lose up to all of your money. So it's not like putting money into an ISA, into a, a regulated fund, where um, you do have some protection from effectively from the Bank of England. Um, so, so bear that in mind. Um if you are a fan of the club and you've got a little bit of extra or if you're a football fan and you've got a little bit of extra and you want to buy into these things, that's fine. But you're also effectively buying into the the current management or the current ownership structure. What happens if those owners leave and a new bunch of owners come in and for for want of a better phrase, they turn out to be wrongers? So mm. you know, I, I, might, might, I might make an investment decision based on my personal perception of the people in charge of Club X or Club Y. If that club is then sold to, you know, let's let's say, we, we make up a name, so let's, say, let's say somebody called Borance Lassini or, or something <laughs> like that, um, you might then start to get twitchy. And because these bonds tend to be for a fixed period of time, you know, normally it will be for, you know, for three years or five years. In five years' time, you're going to get your money back and, and you'll have picked up the interest on the way. Um, you know, if that new owner has come in and has run the club into the ground, um, then you might not get your money. So it, it, it's 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 a risk. Um, I would never encourage anybody to put uh, any money into any form of investment if uh, it, unless their finances uh, dictate that it is effectively it's your discretionary excess money that, that you feel that you know, you've you've got some savings you want to diversify your your portfolio of of where you put it and so on uh, I'd, I'd never put a hundred percent into anything but um I, I would i would say as a note of caution they do have benefits in terms of potential high returns the downside unsecured and you're you're effectively backing the current managers or management team if they change Things could change, and, and because normally when when ownership of a of a of a big club takes place, so if if Manchester United or Liverpool are sold um, over the course of the, the next few months, um, all of those banks that have lent money uh, to, to to Manchester United, and we're talking about very senior banks, they have something called a, a change of control clause, which means that if the club is sold, the bank has the right to demand its money back immediately. Because it might not like the new owners, whereas I don't have that in respect of, of the yeah. ones that I've bought. I, I, I like the sound of this guy, Borance Lassini. Can we get him on the pod? Um, <laughs> yes. I'm, going to, I'm going to take a leaf out of your book and refer from now on to Horden Jenderson, but you'll know who I'm talking about. Um, I was going to write my Christmas cards today, Kieran, but I think I'll leave it because people will be going, Why has he written Mary Henderson? Love from the Hendersons. He seems to be obsessed. Um, I'm intrigued by what you say there, Kieran, um, especially by the fact you wouldn't mention the third club uh, after Wimbledon and Peterborough. But I, I always assumed that when clubs did investment bonds, that they were administered by an independent financial agency. So is there 
extending your your example, say uh, Palace were to do one, and I was to mm-hmm. to lend them some money. It's an unlikely scenario. Uh, well, the, the scenario of me lending them money is a very unlikely one. But yeah, and then, and then say Steve Parrish and the Americans sold to a syndicate. Um, mm. Could could that syndicate legally turn around and say, well, uh, you didn't lend us the money, you lent the previous owners the money, so we we don't see that we as a club have any legal right to pay you back. Right. I mean, in in terms of the administration of these, there are organisations such as uh, Tifosi that that tend to uh, do the marketing, tend to do all of the administration because football clubs are not set up. Yeah, they they don't have the experience of doing this, so therefore yeah. you do find a, a you know a third party to do this on on your behalf, um, and and if that is the case, then then there is some sort of you know, an extra layer of professionalism that goes into the the, the the arrangement, which which does I think give you a little bit of comfort, but there's no financial comfort if things go wrong. In terms of a takeover of the club, ultimately. I am lending the money to you know, Peterborough United Football Club or AFC right. Wimbledon right. Football okay. Club and not the shareholders of that club. So that we have to have a separation from right. okay. organisation and owners. Um, so that so the so if, if new people come into uh, the club, they, they can't suddenly turn around. I mean, they, you know, they can they can try to negotiate some sort of deal. They might, you know, if somebody took over from Peterborough, they might say, well, you know, well, you know, 9% is a lot of money. We, we, we can't afford to do that. And right. either, you know, they'll, they'll write to you and say, you know, can we come to some sort of arrangement? You know, can we give you money back now? And uh, that way we don't have to go and pay you 9% for the next three years or however long it's going to be. Do you think it could possibly deter some some bidders for a club, Kieran? If 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 Peterborough United, for example, owed, I don't, I'm not entirely sure the amounts involved, but say they owed £500,000 mm. and were due to pay back... You know, five hundred and forty-five thousand pound. Yeah, is that is that something? Did I get that right? Yes. Then, uh, yeah, a potential bidder might think, well, that's that's an extra level of, of cost that we can't afford if we buy this club for five million, six million pound. Yeah, yes. You, you, whenever you do an assessment of any business takeover, you the price that you're prepared to pay is linked to future expected cash flows. And that's going to be cash flows in and out. So uh, you know, in, in the case of Peterborough, if they sold £500,000 worth of these bonds, so as you rightly said, that's an extra £45,000 financial commitment for the next X years um, going out of the club. Um, you know, it's a bit like if, if you buy a house and all of a sudden you find, oh, well, there's, there's an additional ground rent um, on on the property because of you know some some old covenant or something, then that might impact upon how much you're prepared to pay for the house. Because when you're looking at the house, you say, right, I've got I've got I've got my expected mortgage payments, I've got my heating and lighting payments, which you get going through the roof, and, and I've got rates, and oh, and then there's this, there's this additional one because it's 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 in a private road, and you've got to go and pay a management fee. I hadn't I hadn't factored that in. That might therefore say mean that you're not prepared to pay as much for the house because uh, you know, the the cash outflows all of a sudden become heavier. I've actually written down "well done!" exclamation mark on my notes for getting a very basic mathematical sum correct. Which I don't uh, think it's that basic. He, he did, it, did it instantly. Basic. Yeah, well, it's considering the hangover I've got is remarkable. <laughs> <coughs> Alex Hall has our next question. It's a very interesting one. Um, it's not quite up there with which players worth their weight in gold. <laughs> or indeed, or indeed, with our last question today, which is very close to worth their yes. weight in gold. I didn't think we'd get two questions that I liked so much 
in two weeks. Um, but Alex Hall is a very it's a very interesting question, Kieran, and it's one of those again that I'm surprised hasn't been mentioned before. Alex says that Kieran has mentioned often that if a relegated Premier League club is promoted straight back up, then the parachute payments they would have received had they remained in the Championship are split between the Premier League clubs. Therefore, it would seem to be in the interest of the Premier League clubs for relegated clubs to come straight back up. And would this then mean that they're more likely to loan out decent players to those clubs who are in the Championship to get them promoted rather than their non-parachute receiving rivals? That's... um, I mean, it's crafty, Kieran, but it could, <laughs> is it is it possible? I mean, it make, to me, it makes perfect sense. Well, Mr. Machiavelli is is, is doffing his cap <laughs> as we speak. I think. <laughs> I, I think he's just. I, I, I see Alex has been plotting away here, and this is fantastic. Um, right. Well, well let, let's take a look at the numbers. Um, if you are a club in receipt of parachute payments, the the amounts you receive are broadly going to be. Um, £41 million in the first season, 34 in the second, and 16 in the third. So therefore, if you come back uh, after one season, uh, the, the Premier League effectively saves itself 34 plus 16. So it saves itself £50 million. Um, it keeps an additional £50 million. If you do that for three clubs, you've got an additional £150 million coming into the Premier League, which works out as around about yeah, what, seven, seven and a half million pounds a club. That's that's well, I'm, I'm writing well done down again, Kim, but it's for you this time. <laughs> so yeah, for for a for a club yeah, you know, for a club like ours where you know, probably yeah, the average yeah, yeah. wages is, you know, fifty odd grand a week, yeah, that's 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 paying for three players' wages for a season. Yeah. Yeah. So um yeah that 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 could be an issue. I mean, what are, I think there are, uh, I think there are caps on the number of players that you're allowed to loan. But uh, if if I was a Premier League club and I had a choice of two, and, and I was, I was from the Dick Dastardly school of sneakiness, um, it, it's it's worth taking into consideration. You know, ultimately, uh, you know, is, is one player going to make that much of a difference? It, it's questionable, and also. Um, if I was that Premier League club, um, my biggest concern would be in respect of player development. Because yeah. um, you know, if 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 we you know let's, let's take my club Brighton, um, you know a, a few years ago uh, we we had Ben White on our books, and uh, he went to he went on loan to a League Two club, on loan to a, uh, a League One club, and then we were looking for uh, a loan to a a Championship club. And I know the club went through an awful lot of they had an awful lot of offers. He was a promising player at the time, mm. um, and uh, yeah, the decision was made to, to 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 let him go to Leeds because they felt that under Bielsa that would help his development. And you know, it, according to Leeds fans, the, the reason that he became a fifty million pound player was. Uh, due to 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 his year in the championship there, so, so therefore you see that we benefited uh, financially because he came back as a as, as a better player. Uh, and, you, know, you could argue he would have he would have done the same use that could have played, have done it anywhere, anywhere else. But um, in terms of the individual player development, if you can then sell that player uh, because that they have impressed in, in the championship, you want them to go to the right club for that player. And and one of the biggest errors 
that uh, I, I think people make when lending out players or when loaning out players, should I say, is that they just take the highest fee rather than look at you know, the management style, the, the cultural style of that club. Is that a good fit in terms of you're looking for that player to come back to you in 12 months' time um, and not have to have a significant readjustment upon return? which is why I think most Premier League clubs now, we have Mark Bright doing it, for example, have somebody whose full-time job is is managing loans in and out, basically. Yeah. Um, deciding the right fit and also looking after their welfare when they're with other clubs or other players that are with us. I was going to suggest, Kieran, to avoid um, annoying him, that you swap the initials of Dick Dastardly around, but I realised the flaw in that argument <laughs> halfway through. <clears throat> Plus, he's fictional, so... Uh, Stuart, yeah. uh, Stuart well, it's, it's tiny if he's not. Stuart White um, has a, uh, uh, another playoff based question, and it's an interesting one. Stuart White says, My team, Huddersfield Town, reached the final of the Championship playoffs last season. And it got me wondering about the financial impact of those extra three games. Do the home clubs in the semi finals keep the gate money, or is it shared? What share of the proceeds do the finalists receive? Assuming that Fulham and Bournemouth will have received prize money for automatic promotion, will the playoff winners generate so much more profit via the extra three games that they will make more money than the two automatically promoted teams? You know what I find interesting about that question, Kieran, is that we still talk about gate money, mm. even in even in, in 2020. It's like that, as you've always talked about, the fact we talk about players' wages. It's another of those phrases that indicate the working class roots of the game, isn't it? It is. It is. You're absolutely right. Um, and, and just another quick plug for the film Gate Money about what happened uh, when the when the National Lottery Fund gave the National League ten million pounds and yeah. and how yeah. that money was carved up. Um, and uh, yeah, if the uh, if the independent regulator is, is now going to be bottomed off. Uh, if, if the people at DCMS would like to uh, perhaps demand a copy of the Bernstein report, which was commissioned by the National League and has never been published into uh, how that money was distributed, I think that could be beneficial for all. There's still an awful lot of people uh, in, uh, in in what we refer to as non-league football, effectively the National League, who have who are very, very unhappy. And, and anybody that listened to to Mark White uh, in, in our bonus episode on Friday will realise that he's, he's one of those. He said, even though our club actually benefited from it, 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 it was so, so wrong. But but back can to... Just, can, I, can I just stop you there, Kieran? The, yeah. the, fact, the fact that you used the phrase carved up indicates to me that you are less than happy about the distribution of that money. It's a very emotive term, isn't it? Yes. Um, Uncle Terry used to carve things up, but in a slightly <laughs> different way. But it's... Um, <clears throat> anyway, Stuart White, there's a lot of uh, lots of uh, Mr. White's today, but Stuart White's question, which again is, as I say, is a good one. Yes, let's 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 just um, un- unpack. I think it's got a few questions here. Hmm. Um, in respect of the uh, the semi-finals, effectively of the playoff games, um, the, the money goes to the home club. The, the home club is hosting the match in exactly the same way as as, as if you have a cup match. Um, so, so the home clubs uh, uh, do do their work. Um, the away club will clearly you know, normally will sell tickets, but those tickets are being sold on behalf of the home club. And the away club, you, know, you normally get a commission for each each ticket you sell. Um, so that's that's what happens as far as the semi-finals are concerned. Now, when it gets to the finals, um, in theory, the the money is is going to be split evenly. Um, but this, this is one of the reasons, why, sort of, you know, despite all of the 
yeah, all of all of the many things that are wrong in the game. I don't know who first introduced this, but we sort of have um, what you might call a, an old school gentleman's agreement that um, the the winning team in the playoff final is about to receive a hundred million quid um, for getting promoted to the Premier League. Um, so, so this is this is very much for the the championship to the Premier League one. Um, the 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 away the away team, it's not the away team, sorry, the losing team. Uh, as well as the sort of the emotional turmoil of of losing the match, is going to have another season of seven million pounds a year in the championship. So what quite a few clubs do is the the chief executives will phone each other up before the match and say, um, "Look, let's let's do this. The loser keeps all of the gate receipts, or keeps all of effectively keeps both clubs share the gate receipts. It, it's it, it's very much sort of a, you know a Jim Bowen." Look what you could have won, uh, consolation prize. But uh, you know, if, if you've got eighty thousand people turning up to the match, you are getting effectively you know forty thousand uh, forty thousand receipts, forty thousand sets of receipts that uh, that you wouldn't have otherwise got. So so that that's what actually is the case. Now, when it comes to the club that is promoted, um, they don't get anything extra for winning the. Uh, Winning the uh, EFL Championship or League One or League Two, there's no prize money as as, as such. Uh, the money is actually split very evenly. And I know one of the uh, potential changes that might go through um, following uh, you know the the the, the, the ding dong that's going on between the Premier League uh, and the EFL uh, and the Premier League's not coming out of this particularly well is that one of the things that has been suggested is that that money will be allocated according to your position in the table uh, in in EFL uh, uh, leagues just as it is as far as the, the Premier League is concerned but in the Premier League it's worth an extra 2.5 you know, million pounds per place that 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 money would have a significant lack of zeros on it um in in, in EFL but it I know it's something which which is being discussed um but if you win uh, Fulham and Bournemouth would not have got any extra money uh, for automatic promotion so therefore the playoff winners uh, in theory will be better off financially so you might say well is it therefore better to go up via the playoffs and to which my response would be no because if you are promoted you know, you are normally you've normally got a minimum of you know, 3 weeks uh, earlier in which to plan yeah. your next season yeah. in the premier league and you know that means that you can you know start to get involved in you know booking those upgrades for the floodlights for uh, giving the recruitment team you know the the, the feelers that they've put out uh, because I think we had we had somebody from uh, Norwich on on the show uh, a, a while ago and they said they effectively have two budgets um, you know in the Premier League a survival budget and a relegation budget and in and in the championship what happens if we go up and what happens if we don't go up and and then you can start to implement those budgets that much earlier so you've got you've probably got a list of 12 players six of whom we're going to recruit if we don't go up six of whom we're going to target if we do go up and you can start to put wheels into motion and i think people perhaps are, are unfamiliar with the the way that the system works um in, in terms of of player recruitment um, you know, we see a deal going through in you know, June, July, August, but quite often the, the first contact will have been made a few months earlier. And therefore, at the end of the season, you're starting to get the vibes as to whether or not that player's interested and whether or not that club's interested. Um, so 
you are better off financially to go through the playoffs uh, in, in the sense of additional prize money. But in terms of preparation, you are far better off going through automatic promotion. Yeah, I, I would say going up via the playoffs is much better, but only if you're 100% guaranteed to exactly. go up. Yes. If you knew if you knew beforehand that you were definitely going to win the final at Wembley, that's that's better. Otherwise, let's let's try and finish first and second, boys. And um, for those of our younger listeners, or the listeners around the world who didn't get the reference, Jim Bowen used to host a remarkably low rent but very entertaining <laughs> uh, quiz based on the game of darts uh, called Bullseye. Uh, and Jim Bowen, who's one of the nicest people I've ever met, but also in a state of permanent bemusement, um, <laughs> would often expect my favourite ever episode of, of Bullseye was when Jim Bowen couldn't get his head around the fact that this this chap lived on the 14th floor of a tower block in Rotherham. It's like, because Jim Bowen said, I, I've been to Rotherham, I, I can't, there isn't a tower block. It's Jim, I live on the 14th floor of a tower block. Uh, and then he won a speedboat. Just basically, as the titles roll, you could see this bloke saying to Jim Bowen, What the fuck am I going to do with this speedboat? I imagine he would have sold it for quite some money. I don't know, but it's uh, you can still see it on YouTube, it's it's still just as entertaining. But those were the days when you could walk off with a a tankard with two five pound notes sticking out of it as your prize, (laughs) plus a rubber ball. Um, Joshua Masson. Isn't quite as Machiavellian. Uh, as, he's, so. he's, he's got he's got bully special prize in this episode, though. For it, yeah. he's not he's not quite as uh, Alex Hall Machiavellian. But there's an element of it in this question. Uh, and Joshua Massa says often selling clubs will receive a bonus payment when a player they've sold plays a part in the buying club winning a trophy. For example, Aston Villa getting a bonus for Jack Greenish winning the league with Manchester City. Don't bonuses like this create a potential conflict of interest like the end of last season when City needed to beat Villa to win the title? Again, it's one of those questions that you think, oh, really? But then underneath it, there is a, there is a genuine question to be asked here, Kieran, isn't there? Well, there is because uh, it, what you could argue that, uh, that City winning that match was a win-win deal for, for both clubs yeah, financially. Both, you know, City, yeah, yeah. City got the benefit of uh, being the Premier League champions, champions and, and, the, and the, the rewards that come with that, and, and Villa um, uh, earned extra money. And if you go into the, uh, if, if you go into the small print of uh, Manchester City's accounts, and I've done this for you, Kevin. Oh, yeah, I, Thank I know you you're, you're otherwise engaged. Um, so I, I, was, I was looking at note 23 of the accounts this morning, and it, Manchester City uh, potentially have to pay up to £197 million in add-on fees if they win certain trophies. Wow. Um, yeah, £190. Yeah, wow. and that, that would be that, – that would probably be – you know, City doing the, the quadruple and Jack Grealish winning the Ballon d'Or you know, and lots yeah, of other yeah. players, you know, so, yeah, lots of other things kicking in as well. Um, but uh, I, th- I think it does show the the extent to which um, deals are incentivized, um, and, and that's to 
that's to re- reward the club that was involved in the development of the player. There's nothing wrong with that. That's that's great, um, and, and also to reward the player for for cheap achievements on on, on a personal and a team level. Um, but it, you know the numbers involved and the, and the numbers for Manchester United are, are equally eye watering. Um, I think we're probably covering uh, Manchester United's uh, first quarterly accounts on Thursday's show. Mm. But uh, you know, the, and, and then you start to say, say these numbers, and and you become. Uh, you become inoculated to them. You know, it, it's as it's, it's as if you know, 197 million pounds. It, it doesn't sound like very much. You go, hold on, you know, because you, you and I both, both can remember the first hundred thousand pound player, not yeah. let alone the, the first, you know, Trevor Francis and the first nine hundred ninety nine thousand nine hundred ninety nine pound player, and, and so on. Um, but the, the numbers involved in football these days have have increased uh, at a rate which is, I think, is difficult to fathom um, from uh, from the beautiful game of the working man. Perspective. <clears throat> and to save a producer guy and his extensive legal team having what my grand used to refer to as conniptions, um, <laughs> never quite understood. She always used it out of context, Eva. It's like, no, it's a telephone, grand. It's not a conniption. Um, I, I, there is no inference to you know, I think the one thing we all believe in is the integrity of every yes. game in the Premier League. Um, I think every single team sets out to try and win every single game in the Premier League, and there's no hint that we are suggesting that Aston Villa didn't do anything otherwise than well, they, they were two 0 up with twelve minutes to go. Uh, weren't they? Well, so, well, let's let's not pick at that scab, Kieran. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Also, I like your idea of referring to him as Jack Grealish, which I think Man City's lawyers could go. No, no, no. We, you, you, Jack Grealish gets a bonus, but we signed Jack Grealish. Did we? You should read the contract. Hi, I'm Steve Lamack, and every week I'm joined by Music Allies head of insight Stuart Dredge on the price of music, the weekly podcast all about the money behind the music industry. In each episode, we discuss the very latest goings-on in the music business and dig into the finances behind the big stories. So whether you're a music lover who just wants to know more about what really goes on in the industry, or you're an aspiring musician, manager or label owner who wants some inside knowledge on how Spotify's financial model really works, or what the future holds for independent live music venues, this is a show for you. Subscribe to The Price of Music in your podcast app now. See you soon. Our next question comes from an American listener called John Kellogg, um, which is a, a great name. I'd, I'd love to know, John, if you are related to uh, the Kellogg family who came up with the cornflakes and that because they were fascinating people. But John Kellogg's question is this. Recently, it was announced that the U.S. women's national team will be paid the same as the men. However, I read that the women were, in fact, already making more money per player than the men because of their recently negotiated contract with the USSF. Despite the success of the women's team internationally, I'm hard-pressed to believe that they did, in fact, earn more than the men. Either way, though, I'm still very proud of my country for finally addressing the pay disparity. Yes, this is this is an interesting one in, in the sense that, that there's two elements to uh, players' earnings. Um, first of all, there's, there's match fees. And I think the, the Norway were the, the first country to have equalisation of match fees between the men's and the women's team. And that's been followed. I know England have done it, Ireland have done it, Brazil, Spain. And, and that's, that, that's great. You know, and, and that's appropriate. You, you, you are representing your country. 
Yeah. But so, you know, your, your gender isn't irrelevant. You are representing your country as an international football player. And therefore, I can see no reason why you should be paid more or less depend, depending upon on gender. Um, the second issue is, is one of prize money. So, you know, we, we've, we've mentioned this before. Um, England players give their match fees to charity. I think that's absolutely fantastic. I think Gary Neville was the first person to organise that. You know, hats off to Gary Neville. I know he's he upset some people, but you know, I'm I think he does an awful lot of good on on things like that in terms of you know social conscious and and it's the players aren't going to miss the match fee itself. Secondly, there are the the players' pools and prize money. Now, what what we have in the USA, which I don't think is the case for. Um, you know, for England, for example, is um, the, the the prize money for both the U.S. women's national team and the men's national women's the men's national team that has been equalised as well. So, if you get to the quarterfinals, the semifinals, if you win the competition, then those then those levels of money are set in stone. I don't think that is the case uh, for the uh, the national teams of those other countries that we've mentioned. I, and if I'm wrong, you know, apologies, but I, I can't see any mention to this. I think the the equalisation has been um, in respect of of the match fees. Now, is it justified? Yeah, yeah we, we can have a we can have a broad existential discussion on this. Um, the the argument goes that given that the the prize money handed out by FIFA is so much greater for the men's game than than the women's game. This allows the individual football associations to pay the men's team more and because it's based on you know viewing figures and so on. So so that's the argument that's put forward. Um could could the men's and women's team come together? Could the FA make a decision to say, well, we're effectively going to pull um you know the money from from you know the men's and the women's World Cup and and come up with a, some form of equalization for for prize money, that that's a decision for the FA to make up. Well, considering that our women's team are capable of winning tournaments, Kieran, mm. then it would be shameful if they weren't getting paid the same amount of money. Uh, um, but yes, that's an, a, another one for research. Um, put that on your list, Kieran. Thank you. Um, you're welcome. Um, Martin Jenkins asks a simple question, but it's one that could have big financial ramifications, actually. Um, do you think football could see advertising placed permanently on the pitch each season, like you see in UK ice hockey? Um, possibly. Um, we, we had we had Leicester's groundsman on was two or three weeks ago. I, I think. Yeah, I, he I, like I think it. I think he might have a word. <laughs> to put it quite mildly, um, if, if, if you're going to invest all of that money on a playing surface which is geared towards maximising. Yeah, we, we we talk about uh, foot, football and professional sport these days, all about being marginal gains. So if you're going to go to the trouble of having uh, the the nature of the woven pitch, the the length of the grass, all of these other issues being uh, organised in such a manner as to to maximise your chances of winning the game, um, to to have some bloke turn up with a with a bit of whitewash and to go and you know, you know blog. Blogs the butcher uh, in the middle of it. Um, I, I think I think the the groundsman would be very unhappy. Um, but it's it's certainly something which uh, club owners would be keener on um, until perhaps they they got educated by the groundsman. And I know who my money's on when it comes to that argument. Um, but I, I, 
Martin, I think, does raise an interesting issue in that, um, you know, I often get asked, why is it that uh, clubs in the NFL make so much more money from TV than uh, than football clubs? Um, and, and the reason is advertising. So, you know, in, in, in an average NFL match, I think, you know, it lasts, what, two and a half hours, would it, something like that, um, the, the ball or, you know, the, there's only action for 11 minutes. Yeah, most of the time is people either standing still, timeouts, um, breaks. The, the game is geared toward – the game was designed for television, whereas football existed pre-television in, in, in a sense. Um, and uh, yeah, the way that uh, NFL has evolved has been very much uh, to to assist the broadcasters in maximising their, um, their, their revenue take – we have seen some suggestions. Yeah, we, I can't, was it was it uh, was it Perez that suggested that football should be cut into four quarters because yeah, that would allow yeah. you know more breaks equals more money. If you listen to some commercial radio stations, they're now advertising during the match, normally yeah. in conjunction with uh, uh, with bookmakers. Um, from the TV company's point of view, yeah, having to go if you're a commercial TV company, having to go forty five minutes without an advert is is just yeah, it's it's a nightmare. Um, so I, I think they will be trying to come up with ways of even if you can't do it physically. So if you physically attend a match, you won't be able to see the, the yeah. logo. But could the Premier League s- sell some form of augmented reality in which if you're watching the match on telly, all of a sudden, you know, the left hand of the side of the pitch is sponsored by Sony and the right hand side of the pitch is sponsored by Ford. And those logos come up on the pitch as if they were there in reality. Um, watch this space. Yeah, you, you took the words out of my mouth, Karen, because I was going to suggest <clears throat> with digital technology being what it is, I think mm. within the next decade we will see that sort of abhorrence. Um, and in answer to your question, Julian, that club owners don't tend to have pitchforks, so I know who I'd be backing <laughs> in that argument. Plus, most of the club owners I've met don't have the same attitude that grand staff have either. So I don't think that that fight would take long. Um, Daniel Nethercote has a question. It's got a lot of numbers in it, Kieran, so you'll like this. Daniel Nethercote's question says, with the new FFP rules set to come in featuring a soft wage cap of around 75 to 80% of revenue and some of the clown shoe clubs in the championship ratio running at over 100%, what would the effects be to them? What changes will be required? E.g., will they have to fall in line with the 75 80% cap? And what sort of timeline for adjusting to full compliance might there be? Right. Well, if we take a look at the position that now exists with UEFA, UEFA are effectively introducing these rules which are replacing financial fair play over a three-year period. And, and what's going to happen is that in year one, the amount of money that you spend on player and management wages and agent fees, and I think it's your net transfer expenditure, is can be no more than 90% of revenue. That drops to 80% in the second year. And then going forward on a long-term basis, it's going to be 70%. Um, and, and, I, and I look at this and yeah, you know, I, I go back to um, uh, my, my first ever law lecture at university, uh, where this this professor came in and he says, "Right, you all think law is clear cut? Just remember, for every rule, there's a loophole," and that that right. that has struck, that has stuck, should I say, and struck um, <laughs> with me ever since. So um, these are UEFA's rules. Are there ways of circumventing the rules? Um, yes, there are. 
Um, I'll say no more than that. Uh, it just needs somebody smart enough to come up with them. Um, and it also protects the rich because if you are Real Madrid and you've got revenue of six hundred million pounds, seventy percent of six hundred million is four hundred and twenty. If you're a, if you're a club that's just got into the the Champions League for the first time, if, you know, if we look at uh, Rangers and Celtic, they, they've got revenue of around about hundred million. Well, seventy percent of that is is seventy million. Can you can you see? It, it, it allows the bigger clubs to to pay the bigger wages to reinforce the gap that they already exists within football, and it's in my view it, it's anti-competitive, which is perhaps what that's what the people want. Um, in terms of the EFL, what would happen here is that we would need to have a vote by club owners, and historically, club owners in the championship have rejected wage caps. Um, if, yeah. if we go back, was it was it last year or the year before when uh, the the clubs in league 1 and league 2 they unilaterally introduced a wage cap along these lines well no so it was it was a hard wage cap of 2.5 million and 1.5 million in leagues 1 and league 2 uh, respectively and um the the EFL asked the clubs in the championship do you want to introduce something and they said it's, we're not even bothering to put it, put it to a vote. There was so much opposition. So the only way that these rules could be introduced is A, the clubs vote for them, or B, there is an independent regulator appointed who has executive power in which um, they can set some form of, of wage cap or wage control. Um, and, and we'll have to wait to see. And, and in terms of what happened in Leagues One and League Two, uh, our very good friend Nick DeMarco was was appointed um, yeah. by the PFA to act on their behalf because um, the rules, uh, the original rules, were that there had to be a negotiation between the players and and clubs, and these rules were imposed. And, and Nick DeMarco got the uh, got that particular wage cap issue uh, very quickly rescinded. Yeah, well, hopefully, as as we said at the start of the show, we'll be discussing more about the independent regulator on Thursday's show. Um, and again, I think the most interesting thing we're waiting to see, Kieran, is whether or not they do have executive powers, as you suggest, mm. because without those, there's pretty much no point in having one. Our penultimate question comes from Adam Cowley, and it's it's quite a plaintive one, this, Kieran. I, I'm, I'm almost... Sad to read it out. But Adam says, I'm a Swindon Town fan, still coming to terms with the penalty shootout loss at Port Vale and at least another year in League Two. I watched that game. Um, I share your pain, brother. This season, all of the other West Country teams have been promoted. So now the closest clubs to us are Northampton and Wimbledon. Last season, we had the likes of Exeter and Bristol Rovers bringing a 1,000-plus fans. But generally, away teams only sell about 200 to 400 tickets. I can't see that improving next season. How will this affect the budgeting for that season? Um well, uh, yeah, negatively is, is, is the, the simple uh, way of putting it. In terms of, of lower gate receipts, yeah, I, I work out it, it's potentially could be costing Swindon around about £15,000 per match. Now, you know, that's going to, uh, you know, if, you know if, you've, if you've got three or four matches of similar nature, then, then yeah, we're talking fifty grand. I think again we become so inoculated to numbers in football because at the top end they are so high. Fifty thousand pounds is a significant amount of money for a club like Swindon Town. Of course, what I would say is that um, uh, under the new owner Clem, um, the the club's finances do seem far better organised, um, and 
uh, I, I think they will they will make up for that over the course of the season because um, Swindon Town is no longer uh, a toxic name locally, mm. and therefore, mm. whilst times are tough in terms of signing commercial and sponsorship deals, um, the club's in a far better position than it was um, when it when it was appearing on this show too often. Um, yeah. In the uh, in in the non questions show, it was appearing too often on on Thursdays, and and uh, I think I'm, I'm delighted for for people there because we got to know some of the people there that, uh, that things are moving forwards. I, I suppose as well, Kieran. The other theory is that for for each season you have in League Two, you you probably leech another hundred, two hundred of your own home fans as well, don't mm. you? Really, and you know, the 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 converse of that, of course, is that promotion to League One would probably add. 500 to your uh, your attendance i would guess yes and, and you know again look look at who's in league 1 you know derby yeah. uh, yeah, ipswich yeah. charlton got, uh, yeah. sheffield wednesday you know it's it's got it's it's got what i call you know proper decent sized clubs who've who've spent some time in the premier league themselves uh, pompey are there as well you know so so away fans tend to turn in numbers so so that you know a, that a thousand plus would would be considerably higher, especially if that you know if a club like Derby comes to town and you know Derby are having a, a going through a, a pretty positive phase at present on the pitch, which is which is really good um, under Paul Warren, um, then then that's uh, th- then they will then they will sell out every single ticket, um, and and it will be the same with Sheffield Wednesday and so on. Our final question, Kieran, and I think we've both been looking forward to this, yes. <laughs> and it comes from Matthew Wilcox. Hello, Matthew. Uh, Matthew Wilcox says, being a fellow accountant, I have a love for graphs and data that exceeds the limits of normal people. <laughs> I know a couple of people, Matthew, that would <laughs> <laughs> might take that as a challenge. Uh, one of my favourites is funny correlations. For instance, a divorce rate in Maine correlates with the consumption of margarine. As margarine consumption has declined, so too has the divorce rate. And my question is, has Kieran noticed any mad correlations while trawling through his massive spreadsheets? Are clubs with red kits more likely to go into administration, for example? I just love yes. I just love I just love the fact that I, I imagine Matthew was chuckling to himself as he as he wrote this question, as he thought of more funny correlations, and then he called in Mrs. Wilcox and said, Here's another one. And Mrs. Wilcox said, I'm I'm busy and did exactly that. Just that was the sound of things. That was Finley exiting the room as this question was asked. Because, because the correlation between questions and wonky chomp donations has gone down terribly. But it's um I it's I just love this question, Kieran, and it's I I, I understand where Matthew's coming from. So have you noticed any bizarre correlations? Um, I, I suspect that Matthew and I don't get asked to the same parties. Um <laughs> Or rather, you should get asked the same guys because <laughs> yes. then you could put you two in a corner and nobody else will have to entertain them. <laughs> I think this is an interesting one. For that, those people that, that like stats and numbers, um, this is the, the issue of correlation versus causality. And um, um, there are old, some numbers. That old chestnut. <laughs> that, 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 that's, that's, that's one of my. That's my. <laughs> this was you, that was one of my opening lines when I used to strut my funky stuff down the pink coconut. And always, <laughs> always went home alone. <laughs> um, so correlation is is where you've got two numbers um, moving in the same direction at roughly the same rate. So so th- there appears to be some link. Between the question and and lots of people confuse 
correlation with causality. They said, well, if two numbers are moving in that same direction at the same rate, then surely one of those numbers must be dragging the other number up or down. So if I give you another example, if we take a look at the level of deaths caused by being eaten by a shark and ice cream sales, they have a very strong correlation. So you then say to yourself, well, could we therefore get rid of people being eaten alive by sharks or attacked by sharks? I've been a bit, bit melodramatic there. But uh, uh, could, could we reduce the number of shark attacks by reducing the level of ice cream sales? If, if, we, if you banned ice cream sales in, in every seaside town, would it mean that shark deaths go away? And you go, well, that's, that's ludicrous. See, there's clearly nothing in connection. And, and, the, and, and what tends to be is, is that there is a – there, there are other factors which you're ignoring. So, so when do most shark deaths take place? They take place um, in in the summer, uh, where the water is warmer, and therefore the sharks are more likely to come up closer to shore. Um, when do most ice cream sales take place? They take place in the summer because the the, the weather is warmer, and we have ice creams because we have ice creams to cool ourselves down. So, um, I've, I've I've looked at my numbers, and I, I, I'm going to look harder, Matthew just for you. Um, but as yet, I've not found anything which uh, which could even tickle my funny bone uh, in, in relation to this, this vast legion of uh, spreadsheets. But uh, if, if you want to drop me a line, Matthew, I'll tell you what, I'll send you my master football spreadsheet, which has got 150 different tabs on, and they are all colour-coordinated to the club shirt. And people say, well, how can you do that? You're colourblind. It's because I can read the labels on the colors i don't know what the colors are but um so so if you want that just drop me a line matthew and uh I, perhaps you can take a look and, and perhaps we can have some private correspondence on this wow i'm i'm, I'm welling up here kieran matthew that's that's the ultimate uh, kieran's never offered me obviously i would i wouldn't know what to do with it but not many people get offered the master spreadsheet matthew that's well also kieran i'm not about to say here that you're, you're dismissing this causality between the shark and the ice cream thing without the, the, any basic research. You know, there's lots of fancy flavours of ice cream now. How do we know that pistachio isn't like catnip to sharks? Ah. How do we know that suddenly, after all these years, the sharks are sitting and going, that's an interesting smell. I'm going to move in club. We don't know, Kieran, so you can't just dismiss it like that. Um, I know a very funny joke about somebody being eaten by a shark, but it's got too many rude words. <laughs> to share with you now, unfortunately. Uh, but Matthew Wilcox, uh, in, a, in the spirit of generosity that we're and we're heading towards Christmas, if you want to email me, I'll share the joke with you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening today. The first ever Price of Football replica shirt is now available to pre-order, and uh, if you're lucky, there'll be a very funny video uh, teasing it coming your way shortly. Um, if my son ever gets to fulfill his promise of editing it together for us. Um, he's too busy basking in his ITV advert. Um, they're available in adults and kids sizes, and all the profits will go to a charity called Gambling With Lives, which is a very good cause. Find the link to our online shop by going to priceoffootball.com or our social media pages or the description of this episode in your podcast app. You'll notice I haven't made any jokey reference to our online shop 
Kieran, that's because I got one of producer guys sniffing emails <laughs> pointing out that we do, in fact, have an online shop. And could I stop suggesting that we don't have a, I didn't know we had an online shop, Kieran. That's all I'm saying. But we have an online shop. Wait, wait, the, you know, the price of football T-shirts can be bought there. Perhaps we, ought, perhaps we ought to bring back the mugs. Oh, there's too many potential punchlines for that, Kieran. I can't. <laughs> um, yes, indeed. So go to that online shop by going to priceoffootball.com or our social media pages or the description of this episode in your podcast app. Thank you to everyone who's donated to the pod via our Patreon page. If you'd like to make a small monthly contribution to the pod, thank you very much. And you can do so by going to patreon.com slash priceoffootball. And if you have a question you'd like answered on the show, email us at questions at priceoffootball.com. In the meantime, I shall hand you over to Mr. Kieran Maguire for his customary farewell. Well, as always, thanks to those very kind people at Patreon that, that do give us support for the show. Um, but there, there's other ways. There's other ways you can show your, your groovy vibes towards the Price of Football podcast, and that's to go onto your podcast app and to, to give us a review. If you could uh, give us five stars, so we've got over 2,100 reviews when I last talked to look, which is very kind, kind of you. Um, give us five stars. It, it helps us in the charts. It helps us with algorithms. Uh, if you want to write a review, um, we, I, I always read them. Uh, quite, quite they're, they're far more entertaining than any, any of the crap that I put out. Um, so um, it doesn't actually matter what you would say. Uh, you could even say you would rather have the show presented by Rag and Bone Man and Tom Baker. And if we can't afford Tom Baker, I'm sure John Colchuth will do it for half the price. Um, and uh, and it wouldn't make a blind bit of difference to us in the charts. Uh, we, we can afford Tom Baker. It's Rag and Bone Man. We, we can't afford. <laughs> <laughs> Bye, everybody. Bye. The price of football. I'm for the